Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. It is playoff week here at the Winning Plays Podcast. It has arrived. My name is Brian Robb, joined by the one and only Ryan Bernizzoni at DangerCart on Twitter to get you ready for a week of overanalyzing, of talking through scenarios, of figuring out whether the Celtics are inviting trouble by going for the number two seed, or if this is actually easily the best call, but it's here. We have a full week to break down. So we're going to start strong with Ryan on a Monday. Ryan, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing well. We've got a 51 win team. What's there to complain about? Right. Right. So let's, let's start with the end of the, this last week here and just, or even the the second half of the regular season for the Celtics, Um, this turnaround, we're going to be spending a ton of time in the playoffs regardless. So has, have you looked into whether historically, is there any team that we can compare this level of a second half turnaround to just by memory or just anything in your, you know, that you've come across in the numbers? Like it's this, what the Celtics have done here is it's, it's something that's obviously unique and I'm not sure we're going to be seeing it anytime soon by, any team get across the league even before, you know, just from a regular season perspective. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, none come to mind. There've been some other people talking about like interesting turnaround seasons. There was, I think the, in the lockout shortened season where the Spurs won the title, they were not great early in the season. And, and that's sort of, so this has been a weird season, not just for the Celtics, but it's like a hard season to come up with analogs with because there was, you know, it's somewhat faded into the distance, although it really shouldn't have of like the entire league went through an insane COVID outbreak. Yeah. And like a quarter of, you know, a part of the way through the season, it's just sort of like wiped out. And it's very difficult to judge that against other seasons where that kind of thing didn't happen. So like in these recent seasons, right, you've got like the bubble, you've got this season with this huge COVID outbreak, you look back to seasons in the past and it's like, oh, there was a lockout season that was kind of weird. And it's like, okay, normal seasons don't operate like this. Um, But one of the other things that's in there is like, it's hard to have a turnaround as big as the Celtics have had, not because of the first part of the season, but because they've been so unbelievably dominant in the second half of the season that like the level of play that they have posted only has a handful of like full season analogs in their past, like teams that didn't have a turnaround, but just achieved that level. Um, You're talking about like the Warriors and the Bulls and the, actually some of the Bucks teams that didn't, you know, before last year that didn't win the title that have had like, this level of play for this extended period of time, it just isn't super common to begin with, let alone to have it come 
after a bad period, which also coincided with a crazy pandemic, right? Like, who do you compare it to? There's, uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot out there. Uh, so it's, it's been bizarre. I, I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple months, a month ago now, I had sort of said at one point, like, I don't think people should be as surprised by this turnaround as it is. They had shown like signs of it in the past and remember it was COVID related, but I thought that they were going to regress from that point back towards being like a sort of normal team. And then they just rolled on for another month, like destroying the world. It's like, oh, okay, well now it really is like bizarre because they never regressed back from there. They just kept doing it. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. Is there anybody that that springs to mind for you is like, yeah, this team reminds me of the, some bizarro team that I'm forgetting about. Well, the, the, it, no one remembers them, but it was the Miami heat a few years ago had went, did went from like 11 and 30 oh, in the yeah. first half to 30 and 11 or something and crazy. Like, but, but, but no, but no one cares about that. Cause that, whatever they like, they need, I think they made, they didn't make the playoffs. So it's like, that was a, yeah. and it obviously wasn't this level of domination that we're seeing from the Celtics, but that that's the only thing offhand that, that comes to mind in a situation like this. And then, and then I think that was after that year, the, the heat handed off a ton of bad contracts based off of that second half, which were like huge mistakes, whether it was to like James Johnson and like Olenek and some, you know, Dion waiters, et cetera. So um, yeah, nothing, obviously the Celtics, what the Celtics have going here is in a far different category than what the heat had and whatever that was 2017, 2018, et cetera. Wasn't there a year when the, the year when the Rockets won like 20 straight and then they got injured at the end. Did they, they may have had like a semi sort of blah first half and then gone on that crazy run as well. I have to go back and look at that season. That's the only one that comes to mind is like remembering that it was a really bizarrely structured season. And then unfortunately they're, like I said, I think their season ended when they picked up some injuries as that, that Rockets team with like T-Mac and Yao tended to I think that was that team. It may not have been a T-Mac. And Yao. I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at that, but it's the only one that's like jumping to mind as sort of modern ish teams that have had, that I remember vaguely having crazy seasons. Yeah, that's. I'm with you on that one for that's yeah that's another weird one that comes to mind but it's it's fade so it's and to your point, like you look at the schedule you look what the Celtics have done the second half of the year the, the the games they have lost and you pointed this out on Twitter earlier today it's like half of them were giveaway games and then half the other half that they lost were ones they they probably should have won and they just like kind of kind of crumbled in crunch time which I think is still the one maybe worrisome part of this team heading into the playoffs are the one, you know, blemish on their resume is the, how they've handled close game situations. So it's like kind of not certainly not a strength, but you know, they, they punt in Milwaukee, they punted in Toronto. They still almost won those games regardless. And then, yeah, they like, they lost to the heat. They squandered a couple late leads to the Mavs and, and the Pistons. And that's pretty much it. The only like convincing loss they've had is against the freaking Pacers in like 40 games. They're just absolutely bananas. Well, and, and the, the Pistons loss is the one right before the All-Star break, right? Right. Like that's the game that was yeah. like every, and that's just always a strange game for everybody. There's really, I look back on it and there's like four losses in the second half of the year that are like kind of unexplainable, or not unexplainable. They're, they're explainable losses as of like regular basketball losses, right? It's like the first loss to the Hawks, which then they beat them twice since then handily both times, but they have that loss to the Hawks and that's pre-trade deadline where it's like they have basically their whole start. I think they have their whole starting lineup but it's pre-trade deadline and they lose that game. And then the uh, one to the Pacers where they get blown out and it's just like weird and they, they don't play well. And then the two games that sort of feel like they matter, right? Like you said, the Mavs and the heat losses where they lose close games, but they have, uh, you know, mostly their full team against the heat. They're missing Rob. Uh, 
and you sort of, so you get in there and you're like, okay, well, there's like four legitimate losses, not legitimate, but four losses that I sort of feel have some interesting context or sort of fit into the larger season um, outside of these other games where it's like, well, they didn't play anybody or Dennis Schroeder was their starting point guard. And we know how that, you know, what happened after the, the trade deadline with that. And you match that up and there's a lot of wins in there as well. They're kind of like weird wins, right? Like there's, everybody had a lot of injuries this year. There's a lot of wins in there that you could sort of do the same thing and be like, well, this wasn't a very good win. We know they had an easy part of the schedule, but I, you can kind of go back and be like, well, there's like nine or 10 really good wins that match those four losses. And that's not including the games where they played like bad teams, but won by 25 or 30 points, which feel like that still is some, like that matters that they've been destroying these teams. And it really is just like a really phenomenal second half of the year they had a 15, a plus 13, a plus, yeah, plus 13 point differential for the entire second half of the year. Even though they lost, you know, had these like throwaway games, it's, it's just mad how well they've, how well they, they played in, in that stretch. Um, and I think that, right, like that's the headline of, of the season to me is like that this team really should be focused on like title contention, right? And we'll talk about that, about how, where do you try to place yourself in the standings and all that, but like, if you don't believe in this team at this point, I don't know what a regular season would take <laughs> right. for you to ever believe about the team. Basically what you're saying is if you don't believe about the, in this Celtics team, what you're saying is I only believe in teams that have somebody who has already won MVP, right. like as yeah. their number one player in their prime. I will not believe in any other team unless you first meet that criteria, which isn't like a wild criteria to have for historical NBA. You know, if you look back at like what it takes, that's actually not like a crazy thing to think, but unless that's your take, like you cannot look at the Celtics team and think that they're anything other than a really top tier title contender. And to your point on that, even if you go through their, like there's not one win in this entire second half of the regular season. We're like, Oh, they, they got away with one right there. Like that's a game they shouldn't have won. If you go down the board and that's the, I mean, a lot of them were just blowout wins, but and then the other ones that were comeback wins, there were comeback wins in the second half where it was just against whether like against Denver or Charlotte, they just like, you know, dominated, like these are back in like February, they dominated the the second half of, you know, the third quarter and or the first half of the fourth quarter and made things, you know, convincing there. Atlanta too is another one of those. So this is one where it was like, no, the, this is their record. And it wasn't a, there wasn't, you know, the, I think you look at the, whatever it was, the 18 game winning streak during the Brad Stevens, you know, Kyrie's first year or whatever. Um, like they didn't have a, a streak that went that long, but there were a lot of games during that run where it was, uh, they, you know, things went their way during crunch time. So they, they, they escaped. This was, there was none of that there. This was, was as clear cut as it gets to your, to your point. Yeah. Is their ugliest recent win, like the one against the Pacers? Yeah, and that's Pacers. They it, did they win that wire to wire? Like they, they won a wire to wire. Five in the yeah. end, but it's a wire to wire victory. Like that's like their least impressive recent win is like, yeah. oh, this game that we don't really care about where we're kind of working on our rotations and, we may even be okay losing at this point because we know pretty well we're going to land in the standings and we won it wire to wire by five points. Like, and that's as bad as a recent win as there is. Uh, it's just like, it's utter domination of basically all opponents for, for, I don't know, three and a half months now. Pretty good. So let's go into this last week here. I was of the mind that, I mean, the, the Bulls were playing so bad. I'm like, if you can just, you know, finagle it and with with taking the like health and, you know, the back-to-back stuff into consideration, like where you obviously you don't want to overexert Al or anyone else who's, who's banged up. Like if you can get into that three spot, I was for that. 
um, above the two. Um, just to have knowing you'd have a first round without Rob Williams where you wouldn't have to stress about much because the Bulls honestly have been, you know, probably the worst playoff team in either conference in the in the second half of the season for a variety of reasons. That uh, that option was just straight up taken away by the Celtics yesterday based on a, a confluence of events that they really couldn't predict. Um once the, the, the Sixers started winning out and the Bucks saw the door open to get that free seed and decided to arrest everyone, like that was pretty much that. And even if you look back at what went, in the, like you go back further in the last couple of weeks, could the Celtics have changed anything? No. It, it essentially came down to the Celtics won the tiebreakers. And when you're three teams that are jam-packed for the two, three, and four spot, like that does not bode well in your favor. And that led their option to be number two or number four. And I mean, I think obviously you think they, they picked the right option there and going, going fire, even though it, it comes with the Adosa Brooklyn. Yeah, in the two, four, that, so that's where I come down. It's like if the, in the decision between two and four, win, get home court, whatever. Um, and if you end up playing Brooklyn, which is not a guarantee, then you, you have to just beat them because I don't know, like, I guess it goes back to my feeling on that, that this is a, a title contending team. Like if you think that the nets are good enough to beat the Celtics in this series, then you believe that the nets are good enough to beat anybody. And you're going to then run into them at some point anyway. Right. Like you're not go, if they're good enough to beat the Celtics, then what is the scenario where like you don't end up having to beat them to win a title? So if your consideration is like, I just want to get, I want to win a series. I want to make it to round two. I want to make it to the finals. I, I, I sort of get, some amount of the argument for dropping even all the way to four. I think that that misses a couple of things. One is that the Raptors are playing phenomenally well right now. They're mm. the hottest team in the East along with the Celtics. So they won 12 of the last 15 and they are playing for more than some of the other teams, which I get like they were playing to climb the standings and get into a particular place, but they're playing really well. And Miami, we just lost to Miami. Um, and both of those teams are sort of like all we're all sort of like funhouse mirror versions of each other where they play very similar styles and switching and they're not, there's all like this kind of medium sized players with um, different types of wing creators. But like, I don't really want to have to go through that path either. I don't think it's any, I don't think it's noted like notably easier um, unless you just look at the nets and you're like, the nets have been our, you know, our, our flip the switch team. And my problem with that is that like, there have been flip the switch teams in the past and the other one has to do really good things, but like they've all won titles before. And I know that Kyrie and Durant have won titles before, but like this Brooklyn team lost in the second round last year, right? Like it's, they don't have the pedigree to, to just assume that they're a flip the switch team and that the 20th best defense is suddenly going to become good enough to stop the n- number one offense in the league for, for the last couple of months that the Celtics have. So uh, I think it's fine there. If it had been a decision of two versus three, even with the implications of home court in the second round against an assumed matchup against the Bucks, like I could understand that because Chicago, like you said, has been playing so badly. And with Rob being injured, like there's some amount of I could get that. And the solution to all of this is that they should go to high seeds, get to pick their opponents in the playoffs, and then right. you would have everybody trying to win into that position. But yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like a couple of years ago you know, with the crazy tiebreakers that they had that ended up making a tough first round series for them where they were losing tiebreakers. In this case, like owning and winning these tiebreakers became a situation where like they couldn't maneuver themselves into the ideal situation. And so if you can't do that, 
Like just win the games, get home court, set yourself up for as traditional a path through the playoffs as you can of being like, you know, first round series, we get, you know, have to beat a flawed but talented team. And then second round, we'll have home court and see where it goes. So I don't know that I don't, I don't think Toronto Miami is like a super easy path. Some people, it seems like they're acting that way, but I just don't think that that's like some cakewalk that, that this path that they're on is, you know, so much more difficult than. Yeah, like Toronto has been playing very well. Um, and without Robin play there, that's they're going to make you work and you get you throw in the Nick Nurse factor. We know that he has plenty of tricks up his sleeve um, based on past postseason performances. Um, on the other side of the coin, like Kevin Durant, like almost dragged a undermanned Nets team to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. And he has this, there's no question that the, you know, this supporting cast is worse um, than that supporting cast or at least has been for the majority of 82 games, but it's, we could eat, you know, it could easily be a situation where you're looking at one and one series going back to Barclays center um, in the first round. And then, you know, that's, I mean, that could happen against them or the Raptors. That's the the thing you have to kind of tell yourself that like, there was no, when it came down to it, there was no easy first round series choice. The you, I, in a nutshell, I'd take would obviously much rather face the Raptors over the nets. I think um, if, there wasn't a home court advantage situation baked in for round two. Um, but with that put into play and the fact that I think between the bucks and the heat right now, I think that's a toss up in terms of like who you'd rather play in, in round two. Um, it's obviously clear that they, they made a choice and it, you know, it could come in, could come in handy in a big way in round two, or it could, you know, we'll find out quickly if it's one they regret. But like we said, we don't know. We don't know. There's not like what, what percentage chance, what do you say? 80% chance Nets win that beat the, the Cavs on Tuesday night, like higher than that. Like what's, I mean, Jared Allen, I think is going to at least try to play like what's yeah, maybe a little lower than that. Like they've obviously can lose to anyone this year. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much always lower, lower than that. I think in, in one game between teams that are this, you know, that have this many issues. Um, I assume Durant's going to play basically 48 minutes because that's what they did last year where they were just like Durant and Harden, even an injured Harden, like Nash just played them every minute. Uh, and like, you can say that that's scary. That's whatever. Uh, here's what I'll put out there. The Celtics, when Jason Tatum has been on the floor this year, which has been a lot, are plus 12.7 per 48 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what it is by possession, but plus 12.7 per 48 minutes. So like earth shatteringly dominant. Um, The Nets with Durant on, and this is taking out garbage time, have a minus, have a negative scoring differential for the season. So in games that he's played, they have a pretty good winning percentage, although it's not as good as the Celtics with Tatum by any means. Uh, But like play in 48 minutes, play Kyrie, you know, the whole game, everything. And it's still just like, if you think that the Celtics are actually a like plus 10 point differential 60 something win team, if you took their, the second half of the year and, and, you know, pretended it was the whole season, then like, that's just what the playoffs are. Like you got to beat good teams with good players. If you're going to achieve what you want to achieve. And it just kind of, to me is like not the right mentality to be going in and being like, yeah, we're trying to like duck these teams in the first round. It, like you're the best team in the East. So 
the only team that really like scares me. It doesn't even scare me. Like the team, the Bucks. If you, if they lose to the Bucks, you're just sort of like they're the defending champs with Giannis, and we've seen them have multiple years where they were like as good as the Celtics have been in this year. Um, and they have the track record to be like that. Could be like a monster series. And and if you lose in that series, then you still might be the second best team in the league. Uh, if you lose to the Nets or the or the Raptors or God forbid the Bulls, right? Then it's sort of like or the whatever. I don't think that the Cavs will have to see what happens with them as well. But like you're just not the team that we thought they were and that they've played up to, which I think that they are. So I'm not that scared of it. It's what's well, it's just funny though because you look at I'm looking at like the betting odds at Battle Line right now for the championship. And the Nets still have better odds to win a title than the Celtics. Um, and I guess I mean that again. So what the the public is still obviously are more believers in Nets. Stephen, <laughs> um, somebody wrote a, I just wrote a thing about that where they went and talked about book talked to bookmakers about it. Who are like, yeah, it's because people keep betting the Nets, so we just keep right because the they, odds they have they to, are like right. it has nothing to do with any. Yeah, no, it's like the the the, the betting public is still yeah. It, yeah. It's as no reflection of what the the book. It's it's it, the betting public believes. Still, there's still a bunch of believers in the Nets and Kevin Durant, and you know that that those prices will reflect that. But I think, yeah, from a on paper perspective, I I would be, you know, for people who actually watch and analyze it, it's I don't think you're going to see you'll probably see a token pick for a Nets upset here or there um, in a series. Uh, but like you said, the this is a a monstrous rematch. So like, what let's. Let's talk about the, the, the play-in game for a minute here and then a little bit more and then get into, you know, Celtics-Nets theoretical matchups and, you know, talk about the Celtics' potential ceiling in the in these playoffs, what needs to go right, what what are worry, worry issues, et cetera. Um, Cavs, Nets, Jared Allen might be coming back. I think, to me, the wild card in this game is, like, is Kyrie Irving going to try to win it himself? I think that could easily cost the Nets the game here. If he has does it on a night where he doesn't have it going. And that's already happened in the last two weeks. And when Durant went for like 50 plus in Atlanta, but the, the Nets still lost because Kyrie was like seven to 30 or something like that. So that that's the wild card I have in play here uh, for this game. What, what do you, is, is this just going to be a shootout? Is, is Cleveland actually able to like, slow things down defensively with they have their their full core back or you really can't do that against Durant in a game like this regardless yeah I mean how how back is Mobley um it's weird to to think about like a partial season rookie as being who you're relying on to stop Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving mm-hmm. uh, but he is a special talent in terms of um you know playing as, as young as he is and we have seen like with with Tatum in his rookie season that like young players the problem with young players is that they can't keep but can't do it every single night every single minute for the entire time but they can have really phenomenal games they can have big plays and, and make an impact uh, so he's obviously an important part of trying to do anything that they can to to slow Brooklyn down but like it's it's what it always is in a one game series in the modern NBA like Cleveland could make a bunch of threes right <laughs> like Garland and Kevin Love and Lowry Markkinen against a team that can't defend anything could make 23s yeah. and like win the game 132 to 128, even not being able to stop the nets just because like, that's a lot of points that you can get from the three, you know, you, a lot of bonus points out there. Um, and so they could just get hot and they could win the game. Um, I, it's really hard to see the game. Like it's, I don't, can either team win this game 105, hundred, like I, 
I don't think so. I think it's going to be higher scoring than that, but who knows? Again, it's one game. Both teams could go really cold from three. And it's just like, that's ultimately what it comes down to is like, why do, you know, how did the Peacocks make it to the elite eight in the, uh, in, in the NCAA tournament? It's because you play it one game at a time and then there's an elimination. Um, so I don't have like a brilliant analysis beyond that. If they had to play 82 times, I think the Nets would clearly have a better record than, you know, the fully healthy, as we expect them to be now, fully healthy minus Ben Simmons um, nets against this version of Cleveland. I think Brooklyn would be better, but like it's not 80-20, anything like that in terms of in terms of how likely they are to win that game. Yeah, it's it'll be something I think. Well, the, the key member of this game is we have to remember it's going to be Rajon Rondo coming off the Cavs bench. <laughs> And just you know, setting playoff. the table. Is it playoff Rondo. Play playoff in Rondo. Rondo. Play in is Rondo. Play, is it, does this a play playoff game? I don't know if it is a play right. in Rondo. No, yeah, it's a play in. Yeah, it's a separate from the playoff. It's it's its own category. So that Jason Tatum fifty point game in the playing game last year is just like it's, it's in the archive somewhere, but it's not in the playoff stat or the regular season stats. But um, yeah, we know playoff Rondo exists. We'll find out if play in Rondo exists. But yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. That'll be again seven o'clock on tuesday night so the celtics will have uh at least five full days to prepare and a sunday for whoever wins that game um and we're gonna go we'll get into the net series here uh in a minute in terms of how they could match up with the Celtics. but first I'll tell you about our uh sponsor at bet online which continues to be a number one sports your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info and find all those latest sports developments including title odds on the playoffs uh, fights and even next season's future and baseball is also back so you can check out all the bank stuff for your mlb season with that being finally here betline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs including live betting and your vegas casino and poker games it's super easy to get started head over to the website or use your motive device to use the promo code clns50 to receive 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts all right so steve nash in the midst, the, the Nets are running a four-game winning streak going into the playoffs here against juggernauts like the Rockets and the Pacers. Um, but Steve Nash has really tightened up his rotation in recent weeks, um, has been playing eight. I think that's going to expand to nine with Goran Dragic coming out of um, health and safety protocols. He's been out for a bit. So he'll be, we'll, be, we'll be interested to see what his availability is coming off of that, um, you know, for the playing game or game one of the series if they make it that far. But just initial thoughts of from you on their starting group. Do they keep Drummond in the starting five there? I assume they go Durant, Irving, Brown, Curry, Drummond in the middle. And then honestly, they have a lot of like they're playing Kessler Edwards a lot of minutes. They've they've they waved James Johnson a, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> like they've it was a, a key part of their rotation um for much of the season. Like where where do you kind of see on where they stand in terms of what what bodies they have left here in who they could use in a series against Boston. Uh, I don't know if they'll play any more than those five. I, I sort of comment, you know, commented on before, but that they went to an extremely tight rotation in the playoffs last year, like as tight a rotation as you could possibly imagine, particularly by the end of the Bucks series, where it was like five and a half man rotation and literally just Harden and Durant every single minute. Uh, and so is, you know, is that what they're going to do again, where it's just like, or, you know, obviously not Harden, but is it just Kyrie and, and KD 46 minutes a game? 
um, and then whatever else you can fit around it. So yeah, I assume Drummond and Bruce Brown will end up in that, although Bruce Brown's been a little bit in and out of the lineup during the year, but um, at this point, they just have to play him for having anybody with any ability to defend out there. And then Seth Curry in the Joe Harris role as the, you know, designated shooting. With a bum ankle, by the way, which is... Oh, I didn't even know that. Um, I mean, he didn't play Sunday. I mean, he's had a... He said he's going to need like a week of rest for it to be good. Oh, so he's obviously playing through right that. now. So that, that, that's another wild card. And, and, and the problem is like Patty Mills has shot miserably in the second half of the year and just is a sieve on defense. It Dragic has skills, but like he's an on-ball player on a team that has KD and Kyrie and he's getting destroyed on, on defense as well. So I don't know where they really go other than just to play six or seven guys and just tighten it up as far as they can. There's this little whatever the thing is out there that's like maybe Ben Simmons is going to come back, which seems insane to me. But um, so I, I don't know. I assume that you'll. I'm guessing there is going to be another pod after they have have decided, you know, go, gone through the play and where you'll break down the actual series that they're in. Um, but that's sort of where I feel is that like they're just going to go super tight with with what their rotation is and hope that they don't burn out by the end of the series. And that the problem will be the problem that they've had all year, which is that that lineup and every lineup that they could conceivably put out there can't defend anybody. Uh, And, you know, they can get into a shootout as much as they want, but like two really good offenses where one also has a good defense and the other has a terrible defense. That's not (laughs) the team with a good defense still wins that because they can cut down some amount of your scoring. Uh, So that's where I think, but I mean, it sounds like you were thinking that they might go as far as nine I can't, I can't believe that they will have, right. It's two coaches here who have shown a a proclivity for playing very tight rotations. I I feel like we're going to see like 13 guys that that play anywhere more than a few minutes during the entire series. If there is ultimately a Celtics nets. Yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, it's more of like, you know, Drogic is, if he's able to play, he's going to play. So he would make nights. So it's a question of like, okay, well, who do you, but why is he going to play? Like, I mean, mean, that's, that's fair. Like you'd think they, I don't know. I, I think like, Nash is like Drogic's guy. Like they, they, he recruit him directly to come there. I think he's gonna, he's gonna try him. Right, well, he like maybe gets benched over the course of series, but I'd be shocked if he's not playing at least, you know, 10, 15 minutes in game one of this series if, if he's, you know, healthy enough so, to do it. I mean, um, so you're playing with Kyrie then. That's what it comes out of. Yeah, yeah. You're, oh, you're just going, you're just, you're leaning into, and you're you know, just, yeah. No, I get it. It's like, I don't, I don't think it's gonna work. I just think it's gonna happen. Um, it's like, yeah. I don't think it's gonna work. I mean, you just have the to story of the Los Angeles Lakers <laughs> and Brooklyn Nets this year. <laughs> it's just gonna happen. I mean, it's you have to. It's gonna be a situation where you hope the Celtics, like everyone in the Celtics, goes into a first half slump from three point range, um, which we know they they could do, but there have there there have been all sorts of signs that that's not gonna be the case. Or they're, they're producing far better quality shots from inside and outside art. The wall movement. It's like. It's two different offenses now, as the numbers indicate. So, and that's only hope in this series really is a Durant. I mean, with Durant going out of this world and Kyrie, you know, elevating to the second best offensive player in the series, which, which could happen. Um, And then three, the Celtics just experiencing some massive shooting regression of their own in, you know, four of the seven games are all those things going to happen. I don't think so. Could they happen? Yeah. They could absolutely happen. Um, so that, and then, but the other positive thing here, I think you like compare 
like last year's Nets to this year's Nets um, in terms of like the defense obviously really stepped up for them when during last year's playoffs compared to what that was in the regular season. And they had the all switch scheme in the playoffs that worked, you know, well for a while while they were healthy. With Drummond now being such a vital part of their line, you really can't do that. Or if you do that, you have, you know, a huge target on someone's back to pick on there on top of a guy in Curry and, and Kyrie too to pick on. So that it'll be fascinating to see like how they just try to, handle that um in in a, in a series like this yeah and the only ways you can really pivot out of that if you decide that they're targeting Drummond too much is like you can bring you can go to Claxton who is this sort of hypothetically a switch defender but like Tatum destroyed him right or has destroyed him a couple times in the past or you can go KD at center and then you're just like we do not care we're just yeah. we're trying to get 140 we're tr- first to 140 but it's even then it's like you eventually your offense against the Celtics devolves into isolation stuff because we know what, how the Celtics are going to play defense. And like, you have to have some amount of that. And it's, I just get to the point of like, Katie is not going to take a hundred shots a game. Shots will go to other players against really good defenders. And functionally all of the Celtics shots will come against, you know, average or worse defenders, unless they get really dumb and decide that they want to isolate against Kevin Durant a whole bunch of times. Like there's right. That's just not what they're going to do. Um, and, and it's just this trade-off of like, yeah, okay. You might think that Durant and, and Kyrie are the two best offensive players in the series, but they're going to be facing much better defenses. And the gap between them and Tatum and Brown is like not gigantic. Um, which is all, all to say, like, I, I agree. Like anything can happen. It's a seven game series. You hope that there's no injuries that get into it, which is obviously the bigger wild card in there. But, um, like, is it possible that the Nets win this series? Yeah, of course. Anything is possible in sports. Otherwise, what would be the point of playing it? But by all reasonable, you know, analysis of these teams, there's a the Celtics are a worthy two seed at the very worst, and the Nets are, you know, maybe they if they had a little bit better luck with certain things, they would be a four or five seed. But like the Celtics should win the series, and so you just have to go out there and like take care of business and not worry too much about all of the sort of. I don't know, the off the court stuff that goes with, with the Nets. Let's talk a little more about the Celtics here and their own tactics for this postseason and their eventual path here um, and their odds and from, in terms of making it there. Where are you on the Celtics front line, starting front line for the first round without Rob? Or is he, are you clear cut in on like Horford Tice is it? Will it be dependent on the matchup? Um, to potentially throw Grant in there, would you downsize in this in a scenario and start Tatum at the four and throw Derek White in there? Like where where do you think they start and where what do you think they stick with? I would be very surprised if they don't begin with Tice. Uh, I don't know. I mean, even if they're playing against, even if it is the Nets, and you could very obviously make an argument for Grant Williams in that spot. I assume that it will still be Tice in Game One. It might not be Tice by the end of Game One, which yeah. is what playoff coaching is about it's about being decisive and making quick decisions about things like that but i mean you don't do you think there's any real chance that they that they switch it up i guess we don't have a history with with Udoka as a coach so we just don't really know um if it was still brad i would be shocked if he you know to make a change before game one like that uh but i guess you know we'll we'll see um i don't think it would be Derek white unless they get into you know unless they're down three, two or something or three, one, or, you know, unless they get into a position where they feel some amount of desperation to try something different. I think it's really just a question of, of Tice or Grant Williams. Uh, 
uh, because they like the way that the rotations work out with, with white and smart, which is completely reasonable and, and has worked to this point. Uh, but I mean, I, again, like it gets more interesting to me when you get to the bucks, if assuming that they get to the bucks, if, the, if everything works out there. Yeah. Uh, just because the bucks are better. They're not better than the Celtics necessarily, but they're better than the other teams in the conference, I think. They have a higher ceiling. They're, yeah, they slept walk through a little bit of this season because they're defending titleists and they've got the best player. And there's a reason for that. But I, the sort of tactical stuff becomes more interesting there, also in part because they actually have a system that you're trying to counteract. Whereas particularly if you're playing the Nets, I mean, we heard Steve Nash on his mic'd up thing where he was like, well, none of us ever played together, so let's keep it simple. Like, what are you trying to combat in terms of system stuff when you play the Nets? It's all just like isolation and Durant. Like there's nothing you can throw out there that's going to really change that. Whereas against the Bucks, they have an actual offensive and defensive identity that you're trying to counter. Um, and it ends up becoming a more interesting series from a coaching pers you know, perspective instead of what you get potentially in the first round of just like, well, let's roll the ball out there if you're the Nets and like see what happens versus the Celtics who are a pretty well-oiled machine at this point, hoping that, that that continues on. Yeah, no question. Like the, the chess match there between those two will be fascinating as that series go on. And then obviously we'll have the Rob Williams factoring in whether he comes back at the end of the first round or, you know, for that second round series, if they get there, that will be an extra layer to throw in in terms of hailing how good, he, how close to 100% he looks and how you adjust his minutes accordingly and um, just how much he can play, period, um, coming off of uh, surgery. I and think that, the best sign for the Celtics if he doesn't play in the first round, right? Because that means you oh, never yeah. got desperate and you went through yep. it relatively easily and there wasn't enough time for him to get out there and you had no reason to. Like, that's what you're all hoping. That's what I think we should all be hoping for is like, yeah, Rob doesn't play in the first round because if he does, it might mean that there might mean some amount of like something has gone wrong here. Um, even if you would like to have him get a game or two to play before the second round, it's like I, the ideal here is that you don't see him until later in the playoffs and that you get to later in the playoffs so that you can then see him. Exactly. Let's talk about the Celtics rotation for a little bit. For the first round, do you see, is Ime going to go fade guys? Do we think that, you know, Pritchard has earned regular minutes even against a team, you know, where they can kind of pick on him defensively. Um, and I mean, Ime has been riding the minutes big time all year long with his horses, which Hopefully it will come in handy now to a degree in the sense that they'll have the, you know, the, the fatigue factor will be high enough for them where they can handle the, you know, 40, 42 minutes per night for Tatum and Brown or whatever, however high you want to get to. They're like, where would you like to see those guys at? And where, you know, do you see him? Do you think he goes, how, how deep he goes against Brooklyn? And then even, you know, like against a, a theoretical Milwaukee matchup. Yeah. If you end up at the Cavs, I don't think there's any reason that Pritchard wouldn't be able to play some amount of minutes through, through that series it does feel a little bit like what will happen is that he'll put Pritchard out there and immediately Durant or Giannis will get him switched on to him a couple times and they'll score. And then you won't really see him again. Um, and that particularly would you know, be, be more of the case in a situation where Rob has come back and they're able to cut the rotation even further and make some of those decisions around that. But that's the one thing that you wonder about, like, is the sort of decisive action versus overreaction. Where does, where do you fall in that? Is that maybe, Pritchard gets get lost in that because he just gets targeted. And it's a very visible thing that everybody can notice, including the coach right in front of him is like, oh yeah, Peyton just got, you know, 
Kevin Durant just shot straight over his head three times and there's nothing he can do about it. He's not doing anything wrong. But other than that, it feels like there's a very solid, pretty well locked in rotation here uh, that will have to change a little bit. You know, hopefully that, that Rob comes back at some point, but like, this is not a coach who I think is going to be throwing out Gerald Green, right? Like, there's not, so, there's not <laughs> Aaron Neesmith surprise, surprise start here. It's you know who the guys are, who they're going to they're going to ride with, assuming everybody is able to stay healthy and, and come back. Um, and I think that part of all going back all the way to the trade deadline, like the simplification of this team and the locking in of that rotation, ultimately is so that you're in that position at the end of the season, which is where they are now, and into the playoffs, where it's like these are our guys. We've got eight you know, maybe a ninth guy in some situations against certain matchups and everybody else cheer heartily from the bench and don't blow leads. If we put you in, in the fourth quarter at the, you know, when we're up 20 um, and that's, and that's every team, right. That's not, not like something special about the Celtics. Like every team gets to the playoffs and wants to play eight or nine guys. Right. And I think we know who those are, unless you, you got uh, Matt Ryan made his first three and now you think he's going to break into the, the, Emay's playoff rotation here is that what, is that what you're about to tell me? Yeah, that's I mean him and Broderick Thomas had some good minutes in the <laughs> fourth quarter against the Grizzlies. So like, look out. Meanwhile, Wancho Wancho Hernan Gomez is like playing big minutes for the Jazz. So starting at least starting, he, I think yeah. he, during injuries time he was starting. Yeah, I guess maybe he's yeah we'll now, see. Yeah, we'll see. yeah, right. So good sign know, for them. Big big mistake. Um, one last thing before we just get to closing thoughts on title odds and um, Tice. Tice trade obviously looks like a big win now for this exact scenario, protecting them. Has Tice played well enough where you actually consider playing him a little bit when Rob comes back? Like, if only just to protect Rob from a mid's perspective? I mean, I guess some of this will tell us how does he play against the Nets. We'll, we'll kind of answer the question, but he's looked damn good in a lot of these games. Uh <laughs> or, or I might be overstating. I mean, I'm a big Tice I mean, guy. So I'm like, if Rob comes that. back and he has a minutes limit, then obviously Tice will, yeah. Tice will play more. I think you get, to, ideally, you get well, to the he... point where Tice isn't really playing um, because it's. But he plays better than Grant in some games, I feel like. And I think Grant's going to be more I mean, useful. I mean, everybody in the plays better than other players some games. On the, on the he's whole. He's been fine. I think he's put in an ideal position. Like, I think he's, he, right? Like, the team is set up to use him as best as they possibly can. Um, and that he is filling that role you know, that role well. And, and if Grant's three point shot wanders off into the wilderness for a couple of games, like it, it just makes his performances look a lot worse. Uh, but you have to, at this point, assume that it will wander back. Like it does for every, you know, every player who takes a decent amount of threes, like you have hot and cold streaks. They're not, they don't really mean a whole lot. Um, so I think that I, you want to get to a point where you are not playing him. Uh, and that's not because you want, you think that he's not good you want to get to a point where you're not playing him because everybody else is playing better than him. And like the water level is so high that you just have to let, you know, there are some players who, who don't can't reach that level for a variety of reasons. Uh, that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean you're a bad player. We just talked about Peyton Pritchard. Like Peyton Pritchard has had a very good second half of the year, particularly this run later on in the season, he's shooting 42% from threes, doing everything that's being asked, but you do reach a point where it's like, and yet against a team that's going to hunt mismatches like you don't he can't card Giannis so you have to take him out uh, and it's similar with with Tice where it's like it does give you one spot where if you took all the guys in there in the Celtics rotation other than Pritchard who would Kevin Durant most want to be isolated against or who would Kyrie Irving most want to be isolated against it's like it's Tice now they're not gonna be able to remove him from the rotation in, in the first round I, I don't think um, and again like we talked about we don't really want them to but it's just he's the the next 
next player on the rotation that as guys get cut off as the playoffs go on and get more and more difficult if you make it to the finals chris paul and devin booker are going to be trying to get on daniel tice if he's on the floor right um and that's just the nature of being a backup center in in the nba right you you there, you reach a level where you can't really hang on the floor anymore even if you're a pretty good one so i mean i think that the the acquisition of him to this point has has worked out um and like obviously my problem with it at the beginning was like i didn't i thought that they should have gotten something for taking him because i don't love the contract some of that has also been weirdly mitigated by like increases in the salary cap that we can talk about in the off season thankfully but um yeah i mean to this point because rob got injured it's worked out really well. I just, again, I, I hope Rob comes back. And so that's why I hope Tice goes out. Not because I think Tice is, you know, bad and playing poorly. Oh, Ime Odoga is talking a big game of Rob's recovery right now. Keep, yeah, keep I know. It's just sort of later almost scary of like, right. Exactly. Really? They're going to bring like, it back and like, <laughs> he's at got this an point, injury history. You guys know this, he's got an injury history, right? <laughs> at this point, I'm not rolling him out for game one, the way Ime is talking about it. So let's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, right. But, but no, it's early in this series. If the series goes more than five games, um, that would certainly be a conversation topic that comes up um, just based on how good things are looking. But like, I'm with you. I mean, I, I you know, you, you don't want to see him in this first round for a variety of reasons. And his injury history is certainly on that list. Um, all right. So let's wrap up your just outlook Celtics in the East right now, you know, the path, you know, the, the bracket, you know what they've done here, like whether you want to power rank their odds or how like realistic, like this, looks compared to past seasons um, in terms of their chances of getting there. Like where, where do you think they stand and what do you, what do you think needs to go well the most for, for it to happen? Um, so I get, again, I understand that in terms of like, you look at the players who are on the roster and where their standings are in the NBA and sort of the hierarchy of players other than I Tatum's been freaking amazing in the, this year. And, probably deserve even more credit than it, but he's going to be first team all NBA. But um, I get that you can look at the team and be like, well, their best player is the ninth best player in the league or 10th best player. And they have nobody who's won MVP. And you can sort of do all that stuff and say, but I just look at how, I mean, I can't get away from the, how well they've been playing, how well they've been playing and just say like tier one for the entire NBA is the Suns, the Bucks, and the Celtics. Wow. So two of those teams are in the East, which mm-hmm. means that they're going to have to play each other at some point if, if that's correct. And either one of them could win. And I don't know what the ordering of them is. And I think that it's entirely reasonable to say that the Celtics are number one. But I also think it's completely reasonable to say that those other two, two other two teams are. But I think that that's the tier one of the NBA right now. Um, just, I mean, you can't do what the Celtics have done over the last 41 games and not just, like, I don't know. that It's like historically relevant level of dominance over a half a season. Uh, so that's your, I think that that's tier one and that sort of sets everything else. Um, I think Toronto and Milwaukee get a little bit overlooked probably for similar reasons to why it took a while for people to take the Celtics completely seriously. Um, they play the way that like sort of NBA nerds want teams to play like, oh, they're all this same size and they switch and they do all this and that. Uh, but they don't have the right names for it. But I think that they get overlooked a little bit. Um, the Sixers are just like, God knows what uh, <laughs> that's who knows? I mean, what, tell me what James Harden is and, and you get a much better answer than that. Um, I think it's really possible that the Sixers lose in the first round. Uh, well, they won't be without uh, outcomes. There are like Celtic or like Sixers in five to Raptors in seven, right? Like, I don't yeah. think that the Raptors can like blow them out or anything, but I, I can certainly see a scenario where 
the Raptors win that series. Like, I think that's like the middle 80% of outcomes. Um, and then, right, I, the, whatever, the rest of the, the, the Bulls and Cavs are generally irrelevant here. We will see what happens with, with the Nets. But that's where I start is like, when I, when I said that, that I had them all in tier one, you said, wow, where, where do you put them? Because it sounds like you disagree well, with me I on guess, exactly how high I have them. Yeah, I, I, think, I think I would put them, I guess I would put more teams in that tier one, I guess, if you're going to, like, I may put the heat in there. Um, or, and I, would, I wouldn't think it's a slam dunk to put the Celtics in there. I would put them potentially like on the, in the top of tier two and have kind of the Suns, Bucks, and the Heat maybe in their own tier one. Now that I might be underplaying this. I, I guess I still worry a bit with the Celtics, the like the crunch time woes this team has had for the last two plus years of this core group that haven't gone fully away during this run. If they play well enough where they don't come up, like they was the case during the regular season, that's great. And there's a case to be had that that will happen. Uh, certainly in a lot of these series fully away right went, went fully, fully away, away. By never playing in crunch time right I, I can't get off to just the again this historical the, the historical meaning of crunch time performance being very clearly looking like it's a lot of luck and i get that the celtics have had bad luck or and you can say it's bad performance but it i just i can't get off the fact that some amount of it is bad luck and that there will be a regression to that just on on, on crunch time games. But yeah, I mean, if you think that Miami is ahead of the Celtics, then there's to me at that point, no conversation about dropping down to fourth, like second or fourth. If you, yeah, well, Miami, that's the thing. That's, that's where I'm at. It's just that. like, well, that's, yeah. there's no, nothing even be discussed at that point. Yeah. Uh, I just, I don't, you know, I know Miami just beat, just beat the Celtics, but like, I think the Celtics track record here for the season in terms of like the things that are generally indicators of success and future performance are just clearly better. What percentage does Rob need to be at for them to stay in that tier one for you when he's back? Or is there, can they still be in that tier one if he's just like a shell of himself? I don't, I can't ever do these percentages because in my head, 0% is like me. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent is Rob. And it's like, well, you have to be 99% of Rob. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. zero. Then like, what, what is yeah, the percentage? You're like, oh, if you get 70, mm. 70% of Rob, I'm like, no. 70% of the entire mm. population of the world can't play in the NBA mm. at all. So it would have to be, <laughs> I never know how to answer that. I never know how to figure out those percents. Um, he need, yeah. I mean, for them to win the title, he needs to be pretty darn close to what he was by the time they get down to the end. Yeah. Um, but they've looked good. You know, they look pretty good without him uh, after that, the basically other than the Miami game. Right. Um, which is a game that matters. It's a game against, against other high level competition. But yeah, I mean, I think they need to get him back and he needs to be playing well and everybody else in the core part of the group needs to be healthy and, and all that. Like you could, those things can happen to any team. Um, but I don't know, obviously, like I'm saying, like <laughs> they've been crushing the league for three and a half months. And who am I to say that that's, that that's the fake that that seems pretty real. Yeah, so, I mean, this they're set up for, this is the best title odds they'll have in a season since going into the playoffs then since what, like probably 2008, because even 2009, like Garnett was out. Like, so they probably have better odds here than they did in any of those series. Like, is that, is that a fair statement? In or terms of hang- like analytics odds. Yeah. In terms yeah. of like Vegas odds, I don't, I, as we talked yeah, about. Yeah, not Vegas odds. Yeah. Really I'm just talking really analytics. Them, odds. I mean, yeah. 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 In yeah, terms yeah. of like the actual title odds, I think so, which yeah, I get it. It like seems weird. They don't have 
Cole Pearson. How did we get here? We were talking about blowing up this team. I was never in January. I, I know, like, well, <laughs> I was not, talking about not, selling not, off the, not the ball. Yeah, we're talking. Well, we were talking about like <laughs> yeah. getting off Al Horford's contract, and do you move? You know, yeah, you know, Brown and Tatum are never going to go anywhere. But like, do you move smart? And I mean, they made a lot of those moves and they worked out. But it's it's just still wow to think about. Just we've gone from that to like, oh yeah, they're they're in tier one with like two or three other teams, and that being a perfectly sound statement. Yeah, I don't know. You want to try to try to? We have just a few minutes here. I know, but you want to try to like rank what what the things that happened that that we're going with there i mean number one is that tatum found his offensive game and yeah became a, a world beater again uh two i would say is that they and it's a combination of a couple things that go into this but that they figured out you know udoka's offensive system and have become that went from being a decent offense and really good defense to being a really good both um and i think a lot of that has to do with the way that they're playing um and some of that is personnel stuff right Third on the list might be that Dennis Schroeder was removed from the rotation <laughs> because it was such a bad fit. And again, like I actually feel bad about that because like he did, he they signed Dennis Schroeder and they got Dennis Schroeder. It just happened that, to be that Dennis Schroeder was the wrong player that, that they had there. He didn't do anything different than what he's done in the past. And they chose to sign him and it just didn't work out. But like, you know, the the change of focus of how they play offense has been a big part of it. Um and I, I, I think I'm going to put another one ahead of that one. I think the, number two on this list for me probably is smart. Um, well, that's sort of in the same thing. Right? That's in the making breath, him but point like guard, making point. Schroeder, making smart, the point guard, all of that sort of going in. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But even on top of that, like, smart has played. Game. He has played so well. Like this and is Al has too. like now too. Yeah. found the game again. And Al has been, but he played well in the first talk, half of the season too, like, though. Like we, we a saw a lot of the focus has gone for yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the focus has gone towards Rob, but like there's a very clear case for Al to be the second Celtic who's getting a push for like all defense. Um, and, yeah. and even above Rob, he's been really phenomenally good, uh, particularly on that and all season long. Um, and it's a lot of why they haven't seen a huge drop off since, since Rob has gone out is that, that he's played so well. But the list is long when you when you have this big of a turnaround and when you're playing this well, we haven't even meant have we t- said Jalen's name once in this no. entire thing, like his ability to be an offensive focal point in the second units. Um, his, the fact that he comes out and scorches the earth every single first quarter, uh, that he's become a reliable high volume three point shooter, that he's become an isolation scorer, that his, his lapses on defense, I think have largely, you know, everybody has some lapses on defense, but like have largely disappeared. And so there's nothing kind of undermining anything there. And we've talked about like, if Jalen is your worst defender, you're a really fucking good defense. Um, so the list is very long. Derek White, who again, like going back to the trade, like I, it's a whenever you trade short term for long term, ideally things look really good in in the short term, um, but he's been a really good fit, sort of the, the bizarro of of Dennis Schroeder, where Schroeder did exactly what you expect him to do and it didn't work out, and Derek White's done exactly what you expected him to do and it has worked out. So good scouting and good GM work from from Brad Stevens. Uh, and all that together, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. How do you rank all those things? I, I just think it starts like Tatum one, figuring out the offensive system two, however you allocate the, the credit for that. Um, and then the continued defensive solidity that we saw, but that wasn't really part of the turnaround. They were good on defense in the first, first half of the year before COVID blew everything up. It's, it's just absolutely wild. It's, it's wild. It's going to make for a fascinating Eastern conference playoffs um in the next and it's it's gonna be it's, i'm super excited it's just gonna be so unpredictable i think i mean the west is like i guess you know the suns are on I would a different like it to be 
extremely predictable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would appreciate ex- nice, predictable Celtics win, Celtics win, Celtics win, close finals. Just, <laughs> just straight chalk. Like. That's and that's you know. But if it's based on now the second half of the season's gone, it will be. It'll be nice and nice and simple. It'll be a lot of twenty point blowouts if this team keeps doing what they do. But Ryan, we'll be talking to you throughout the playoff run. Um, which hopefully won't be stressing you out too much. But again, make sure you're following Ryan at DangerCart on Twitter. Um, you also wrote about Tombstone wins. Is that correct on your blog? Like, make sure you check that out. <laughs> yeah, we talk about that another. We, we talk about that, yeah, that's off season random yeah. off season topic about what I would change about the NBA after yeah. if they win the title. I'm not changing anything. But um, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, we can talk about that. Yeah, that that's for the lottery. Um, when the lottery night. Uh, a pod so but definitely check that out in the meantime um thanks for coming on and we will talk to you guys later this week when we know for sure who the Celtics are seeing in the first round of the eastern conference playoffs